Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Good morning, Bill. Great talking with you again. Hey, good morning, Bobby. Great to talk to you too. Yeah, so lots of things have been going on in the medical oversight payment of laboratory tests uh, area. Be a great time to talk about some of those. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's very timely. In this country, as you know, the pandemic right now is under control, thankfully. I wouldn't say we're through it, but we certainly it's being much better managed from a numbers perspective. And we're really seeing a pivot now to thinking about healthcare issues beyond COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. at the federal level and a lot of things that are happening that are important. So probably worth discussing for a few minutes. There's a positive. We have a nice lull and, and hopefully that'll stay that way for COVID-19. But there's still plenty of very important topics. Well, let's yep. talk about some of the recent decisions and reports that had been made. In your role, you definitely probably think about this all the time. What are some of the major things going on that you would like to talk about? Well, so yeah, there's things that we've talked about before in terms of just some of the bigger issues that are facing the labs here going forward between the FDA, potential FDA oversight of laboratory developed tests and then the payment reform as well. At the macro level, with the change of administration from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, and even prior, there were some challenges to the Affordable Care Act that had been raised. Uh, I saw last week the Supreme Court heard another case about overturning elements, I think, of the Affordable Care Act. And that was not done. So I think that the Affordable Care Act is here to stay, particularly now with the Biden administration in. So that's something that we all have to be aware of. And in some respects, at least it creates clarity for us. The other thing that we saw had talked about was the MedPAC, which is the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, had a report due back to Congress, which it issued last week. And part of the mandate from Congress to MedPAC was to re-examine the protection to access to Medicare. Act laboratory fee reimbursement changes. It basically PAMA was the sort of it. And to look at the labs are called us specifically in PAMA for some changes. And there were some challenges to how that was implemented. And so that in response, Congress asked for a report and that came back this, this last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for our listeners, uh, you can find this online just by searching MedPAC report to Congress. And it was uh, the June 2021 report just released. So some important things in there. I read a lot of it. It's uh, 403 pages, so it's a lot to get through. But if you start, it's about page 293, where it really gets into what's relevant to laboratories. Bill, what were your thoughts on that, reading that? I can tell you mine after. (laughs) Yeah. Well, first, a couple of things for people to know. Why is it important? It's important because this is a group that Congress will create policies on reimbursement for all medical services, right? So basically, it's all Medicare reimbursement. Of course, Medicare reimbursement is what basically the benchmark that most private insurers work against for fee schedules as well. So it really drives what we get paid for from, from a laboratory, from a healthcare perspective. In this case, again, there was a specific call out of laboratories. Laboratories has always had its own fee schedule, right, with CMS, the CLFS, the Clinical Laboratory Fee Schedule. And so going back when it was legislation was created, 
it was felt that that schedule was outdated. Uh, there was a movement supported actually by the lab industry, including ACLA, uh, to say, well, this should be more market-based rates, that we should look at the market and what the market is for these tests and then set the fees accordingly. Uh, because the, the, the premise, if you go back and read the old documents, was that the fee schedule itself was outdated. When that was implemented, it was to do market sampling or to look at the market. Well, what is the market is really the big question, right? And so when this was rolled out, what happened was that there was a over-representation of independent laboratories like Western Lab Corps, which of course tend to have a lower cost structure because they're not embedded within hospitals. So they, they have more, their pricing is different because they're not part of a hospital system. And this really skewed away from hospital-based laboratories. So that was the big push. ACLA, in response to PAM as it was rolled out, actually came back and said this was not done correctly because now there's speed the corrections that are built in, which of course are annual reductions if the price that CMS is paying is below the market rate because the way they sampled the market kind of overly represented lower cost laboratories. What happened was that all of a sudden we started seeing these fee cuts coming in place and they're significant. I think it's 10% per year for the first like three or four or five years and then it goes up to 15%. So really big, big cuts that could come. So ACLA pushed back as did other laboratories and other laboratory associations. Uh, Congress said, go back, MedPAC, give us a report on this to determine if this is true. Um, this also was part of the lawsuit that ACLA raised against Secretary Azar and HHS, that the way that the law had been interpreted was incorrect, which actually they, we won the decision at the lower level, at the circuit level, I believe. The report comes back, uh, as was asked for by Congress, and it had two major points. One was that it did validate that the representation of labs that were sampled, the market data was like 90% of the data was from the independent laboratories, even though they only performed about half of the tests. So that there really was skewed data collection. They did, the report did confirm that, which is seemingly good news. However, they also, when they look at that, when they report to Congress, they try and understand, does this have an impact on the beneficiaries, i.e. those that are in Medicare, actually getting access to services? They argued that they did not. They did not see a change in the volume of tests ordered. So their argument was that even though the fee setting might have been incorrect in how it was approached, that it didn't really seem to have much of an impact on patients. Now it had a big impact on laboratories. And so, and one could argue that there's lots we could talk about from that, but that'll just start to stop there. The other thing that was interesting was that they focused in the intervening period since I think 2016, 2021, and pointed out that there was actually still an increase in lab spending and a lot of it was on high cost, high complexity tests, these so-called ALDTs, Advanced Laboratory Developed Tests, or basically where they have algorithms, things like the you know, liquid biopsy and some of those, the more advanced NDS testing, basically pointing out that the price cut, what they were paying had gone up from Medicare. And that was because of a, a lot of a rise in high cost testing. So a big focus on high cost tests in that report too. Yeah, it is interesting. I know that their conclusions, they said that it didn't hurt access for patients, but I think it's a little early to really understand the full impact because if we're going to continue seeing cuts to laboratories, that could impact the services those laboratories are going to offer over time. I do I mean, worry you know, about our patients. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. First of all, if we go on the one side, the whole concept that even though we didn't get it quite right, it didn't really affect patients because we didn't see a drop in the volume of tests. One could argue that these are tests that have to be performed, that the demand is not driven by the cost, but the demand is driven by the need to have them available to patients. And that if the labs can't be reimbursed to at least cover their costs, 
that that's really going to make it difficult for the for the sustainability of the hospitals. And it might not be access to laboratories. I mean, laboratories are one of the mainstays of financial sustainability for most hospitals. And so if the laboratories start to suffer, we'll start to see the actual hospitals start to suffer. And that is one thing that we're going to kind of go back to Congress as we work. And I think it's something if anyone listening to the podcast is working with their leadership or working with their local or state or even federal government representatives to make the point that the labs are really important for the sustainability of the hospitals. And what we'll see, we already see rural healthcare really threatened from a cost perspective. And if the labs in those hospitals become not financially sustainable, it's going to make the whole really threaten the, the entirety of the hospitals. Yeah, it really raises the issue, you know, people will say, well, if a large commercial lab can do something at a lower cost, then everyone else should be able to, too. But it's a lot different when you're looking at hospital-based laboratories. They are part of a hospital system, and we need those hospitals, and the cost might be slightly different, but if you were to do away with the lab and the model isn't sustainable, you lose the hospital. It's part of the whole healthcare system. I don't think you can just zero in on one component, like a cost of a test. Besides all the test ordering, test utilization, having physicians and, and laboratorians in conversations to make sure tests are used correctly, there's just the fact that the laboratory is one component of the entire healthcare spectrum. So I think it's a little yeah. artificial to just pluck it out and just focus on cost per test, for example. Yeah, and it's pointed out in there in the MedPAC report about, well, if we start to do a different means of data collection, which we might see, that they had to be careful that we don't reward, quote, inefficient laboratories, I think is the term that they use, hospital laboratories. But the reality is that, look, the costs are different when you're providing care in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they can really cause, trying. you can be penny-wise and pound-foolish. And I think COVID's a perfect example, right? We really moved to very highly centralized testing here in the US in the early days of the pandemic. And that was great in some respects in terms of being able to do things sufficiency, high throughput. There was really around access. Flip side is some people had to wait up to 10 days for some of the so centralized laboratories really struggled to turn the test around quickly, as opposed to having something available in the hospital, which meant those patients either couldn't get on remdesivir or had to be hospitalized longer or they couldn't avoid putting them in the unit. I mean, one day in an, heck, one hour in an intensive care unit probably washes away most cost savings that you would have mm-hmm. from looking at driving down the cost of a CBC or a COVID diagnostics. So there's this whole interplay between the laboratories and how they're drivers of care. And I think that's something that we really have to embrace as a profession here going forward. It's really thinking about not the cost of the lab test. Because one thing I always tell people is that if people are talking about the cost, that means they don't understand the value of the service. And so if people are just talking about the way the cost to run a CBC, then they don't understand the value that having those tests available to patient care really is. And so I think that's something we really have to pick up. We do have to think about making our labs efficient. There's no doubt. The healthcare has to be more efficient in this country. Our costs are, are disproportionate to our outcomes. But the flip side is we really have to focus on the value. And the value of the labs in particular is something we have to really champion. And it's a quite remarkable that even though we've just come through the pandemic, that message seems to be kind of evaporating quite quickly. So it's something we really have to take, a, take the opportunity to step out of our comfort zones if it's not our you know, comfort zone to be vocal and really make sure that we're vocal about this because it's really important for the patients we serve. Ultimately, it's not about us, but it is really about our patients. 
I like your COVID example, Bill. I think that's a great one. It just goes to show that not everything can get shipped off to a, a commercial laboratory. There does need to be testing available locally, and it might be more expensive because it's a different model. And of course, it's supporting a whole hospital, a whole care system, which again gets back to if you're talking about the cost of a test, then perhaps you're not looking at the full picture. And I mentioned test utilization and optimizing test stewardship, test utilization. Um, that's an interest of mine that I've been interested in for over oh, the past 10 years or so, because it doesn't matter if a test is really cheap, if it's overordered and you know incredibly so, your overall cost is still gonna be very high. So you need to talk yeah. about like, not just what the cost of the test is, but how it's being ordered. You know, if you order a CBC five times a day, I mean, that's a ridiculous example, but obviously your cost is gonna be high even if the CBC is extremely cheap. Yeah, I think that's right. I think to really understand if you start to think the wrong way about the test and start to overutilize, not only it, it, the cost really is outside the lab because every time if you run too many of any tests, you're actually working against its analytic strength. If you don't have a good index of suspicion around why you're ordering the test, you're more likely to have a spurious result. And therefore, you're going to start having more expense trying to chase down what was, looks to be a spurious result. And we see this in the lab all the time. The other side is the, I'm pretty sure it's AALT, Advanced Analytic Laboratory Test, if that is what was called out. I, I struggle with all these acronyms. Uh, but basically, there's a list. If you go look at that document, it's interesting to look at the summaries. They have some tables. Uh, they call out tests that have multiple, the multiple analytes with algorithms that tend to be proprietary, like companies like Foundation Medicine is called out specifically. These are very powerful tests. They are expensive and, they, and that's because they are complicated to run, but it really gets back to your point around utilization. What they have really seen is that the cost and what they're spending on these tests is really going up. Now, part of that spending is driven by the business models of some of these companies, which are designed to create data, not necessarily to drive patient outcomes, but to really look at individual patient outcomes or to create data to be relevant in other areas of medicine like biopharma. Um, and so, again, getting out in front, what, the last thing we want to have happen is that these innovations are not available to patients that really need them. And if we don't understand how they're being used, and now they're expensive enough that they get the attention of even CMS. And certainly the private payer industry has been focused on this too. It's like, what is the real utility of these tests? Are these more complex tests? Another one probably in your domain would be microbiome. Mm -hmm. You know, what is microbiome? We have to just ordering a microbiome and not really knowing what you're going to do with it. A payer has zero interest in paying for that. And so that means we have to be really thoughtful as laboratorians about where can these high power tools really add value to a patient? And making sure that we focus on that because that's really what will have the ability for us to maintain offering them and making them widely available. Because if we don't, then it's gonna be, and it's just seen as something that's being ordered willy-nilly and now it's thousands of dollars a test, not tens or hundreds of dollars a test. Mm -hmm. It becomes very problematic. And that's something I think utilization is key. And it is called out in the MedPAC report as well. If you see, there was an, a, a section on utilization and is this a way forward kind of a thing yeah and i'll just mention for those of you who are interested that are listening in or watching us today um, it's chapter nine and it's on page 297 where it all starts mandated report assessing the impact of recent changes to medicare's clinical laboratory fee schedule payment rates it's an interesting read 
I recommend it, although I think we've covered some of the highlights if you uh, would rather just listen to us. But yeah. it's, it's important for us all to know. I mean, as laboratory leaders, I think we need to be involved in this. We need to know what's happening in the government and we need to be part of these lab stewardship teams. And of course, become more efficient. There's always room for efficiency, but sometimes you can't drive a, a price down any lower without losing quality. And I think that has to be a component as well. Yeah, well, first of all, I guess that's, for better than reading a congressional report, I don't know if it's <laughs> very high, but uh, more entertaining that. I would say, though, that it has a really good executive summary. Uh, mm -hmm. I would also pay attention to ACLA. We have a very, you know, as I mentioned before, I'm, on the, I'm the chair of the board of directors for ACLA, working hard on kind of distilling down the information and kind of reflecting back to the, in the public domain what it means for laboratories. But I would encourage anyone to, the executive summary is very readable, and, mm -hmm. and even though it's a very thick document. It's probably worth just taking a look even at the executive summary because it's not just about what we get paid. It really shows how our profession is portrayed and viewed. I mean, I think that's really important. And I think the things that we've talked about today are really important for people to be aware of so they can advocate for it, whether it's the value that we provide, whether it's getting working with providers to get focused in on utilization. You know, there's lots of different messages and also how we continue to fund innovation. And I think that's something for myself as a leader is that the pandemic really did illustrate the underinvestment in the diagnostics infrastructure globally. A lot of the issues we saw around supply chain were because diagnostic test manufacturers are also gonna be trying to drive down their costs in response to these reimbursement decreases, which means they'll narrow and narrow and narrow their number of suppliers as a way of reducing costs. So all these things, and ultimately the other thing that's really important is access and that's the disparities that we've seen in the outcomes with COVID are directly related to access to the diagnostics. And certainly we have to really be championing that. It's something that we want to work on at ACLA and hopefully that'd be opportunities for people to get involved there. But I think really swift shifting the dialogue to say, look, it's great that we control costs. We understand that, but we cannot do that at the expense of getting access to these tools to the people that really need them because mm -hmm. it's a real driver of disparities in healthcare. So understanding how to invest as opposed to how to just cut costs is going to be more, which to me is a much more engaging conversation. Yeah, excellent points, Bill. We'll uh, have to talk in the future about disparities that we saw during COVID that were always there before, but really got amplified during the pandemic. Yes, so, indeed. Future topic. Well, it's great talking with you about this, and uh, and I really appreciate your viewpoint in your role with ACLA. Um, and I also read the ACLA documents, and that really helps provide a nice summary. So encourage everyone to take a look at that. Agree. It seems like we're not of stuff to talk about. I guess what I was going to say. So, all right. Well, lots more to talk about for future topics. Uh, there you go. Yep. Talk to you again. Yep. You too, Bill. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.